Front office, please hold. And welcome to another edition of the special guest segment of the Front Office Podcast. We have the privilege of being joined by a player personnel executive in the CFL tonight. He's in the sixth year, or going into his sixth year in the league, all with the Ottawa Red Blacks. We've got my man P.Y. Laverne joining us tonight. P.Y., salut mon chum, ça va? <laughs> ça va très bien et toi? Thank you, hey. Cal, man. Thank you for having me. <laughs> hey, man. It's uh, like we were talking about just before we uh, we jumped on here. It's it's nice whenever we can get together and just kind of, you know, have these little hangout sessions, but then we can also just kind of talk about what, what fuels everybody, right? Which is, you know, sports or football or whatever it is, stuff that we talk about over a beer at a bar. If we, uh, if we saw each other, you know, back at, uh, back at Lansdowne. Yeah, exactly. It's more than, uh, more than just uh, like an interview, man. It's two former players, you know, talking to each other and two former Ottawa, you guys as well. That's right, man. That's right. So for those of you who aren't familiar with, uh, with PY, former University of Ottawa linebacker, um, then moved over to, uh, to do his graduate school at uh, in master's, correct? Yeah, that is correct. Yeah, at the University of Montreal and uh, ended up having a cup of coffee in the CFL as well with said Ottawa Red Blacks. And uh, has since transitioned into the, uh, the administrative side of things. And you know, Py, maybe just tell us about your your transition from being a collegiate player and a top notch collegiate player at that, and taking your your skill set and taking your education and transferring that over to being a CFL executive. Uh, I'll say, I'll say that uh, you know sometimes you know things happen in life that you don't expect. Like um, after my fifth year at the University of Montreal, you know, I didn't get a, a contract uh, with a CFL team as a player. So I joined the uh, University of Montreal's coaching staff with Danny Machocha, yep. who's now the GM in Montreal. So back then he was my head coach. So I joined the staff as a volunteer coach. Uh, I helped with a special team. Uh, I was doing recruiting in CJEPS and I was uh, dipping my toe into the scouting. You know, I wanted to be as professional as I could. So I started writing uh, scouting reports from, uh, from CJ players that we tried to recruit. Uh, right. And uh, at that point, you know, I spent the 2015 season with uh, Universal Montreal. And after the season, you know, Danny brought me in his office and said, uh, you know, what do you think about uh, maybe trying to do that at CFL level? I was like, well, I never thought about it because, you know, at that point I was still pursuing a, a career as a player, you know, just try to get back into the combine circle and get another tryout. And uh, uh, literally like five minutes after he told me that, he put the phone on the table and there were Marcel Desjardins on the phone. Mm -hmm. And he had me an interview live without telling me. And uh, <laughs> so I spoke uh, with Marcel for about 10 minutes in, his, uh, in Danny's office in Montreal. And uh, I think a few days later, I drove down to Ottawa for a formal interview. And uh, I think afterwards, I think I had to beg Marcel, you know, call him back like two, three times, you know, to see if uh, I still had a shot, a shot at the job. And uh, I think he got, uh, got tired of me calling and said, yeah, you know what, you know, we'll give you a try. So uh, that's how I got into the business. Well, hey, man. And, and as I say, persistency is key. And, and obviously you, you had a connection with Danny who introduced you to Marcel. You were put on the spot. And again, this is something that a lot of people wouldn't understand of, this is how guys and girls have these you know, interviews. They literally yeah. are put on the spot without any preparation whatsoever. And you know, it does one of two things. 
it either shows how you can handle adversity and think under pressure or two, it's going to show that you don't have all those qualities that you need to think on your feet and you're going to fold. So the fact that you were able to turn that into, you know, a job of, of six years now is, is a testament to how you took a lot of those skills from, you know, that you learned on the field and in the classroom and you, you made that into, you know, an opportunity that you, you know, obviously have taken and run and, and, uh, and ran with. So, um, so again, man, like it's, it's, a, it's an awesome story for anybody who's looking to follow that same path, especially for a lot of these guys who are unsure about what their you know career is going to be like after they're done playing university football or even high school football for that matter, you know, looking into doing stuff like this is obviously a road that people think they want to go down, but don't actually, you know, dip their toe into the water. So the fact that you dove head first right in, you know, that's what really separated you from probably a hundred other people who were, you know, going through the same process that you were. And the big thing too is uh, right after my master's, uh, after I was done, you know, I got hired at the University of Montreal with the athletic department. Yeah. So I was working uh, pretty closely with the AD there, Manon Small, who's a great woman, yeah. and she's a she's kind of a mentor to me as well. You know, she helped me with a lot of uh, a lot of stuff. So she got me a, a full time job after my master's. I was uh, doing pretty well. You know, I had a a decent salary for somebody coming out of school, and then having that chance to uh, start. A new career in pro football uh that was pretty unique i had to think about it because you know got to move back to ottawa yeah uh i was very happy because my family is here i'm from here yeah. but also it was uh it meant you know taking a big pickup you know uh mm-hmm. and uh when you're you used to be a, a poor student athlete and to live with uh almost nothing you know for the first time you were uh, tasting a little bit of money you know in the yeah. real world and now we got to kiss that goodbye and uh, <laughs> go back to, uh, you know, a, a entry level, uh, I'll say that entry level job. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it was worth every sacrifices I, I made, you know, like in the first two years were pretty tough. But if you if you're humble enough to do the job and to learn the ropes, uh, I think it's uh, it's worth it. Like, especially for me, like. Since since been a kid, you know, I, I've been dreaming about working in front office. Like actually, one of even to to this day, one of the thing I do the most would be let's say if I play a video game, like a, a sports game. I'm not gonna play the game. I'm just gonna manage the team. That's yeah. what I do. I just I just try to manage the scouting <laughs> department or the contracts and stuff like that. So I've been doing that since I'm probably 10 years old or eight years old. And so having the chance to actually make a living out of it, I think that was, uh, that was very uh, interesting. I think that's why I dove head first and I took my shot. And I'm very happy that six years later, you know, Marcel didn't get uh, rid of me yet or he hasn't uh, <laughs> get, it, get tired of my jokes or my French accent and all the, you know, the spelling <laughs> mistakes I can make. <laughs> uh, that, that, that's awesome, man. And, you know, you and I are very much cut from the same cloth to talk about doing, you know, the managerial stuff and video games and everything. I've been doing the same thing ever since we've we've been able to do so, you know, with uh, with video games. And you know, I, I remember it drove I was... my dad nuts when I was a kid. <laughs> you know, seeing me spending hours doing that was like, why are you doing that? Yeah. Why are you doing that? And I'm now, learning math. You know, yeah. And now, right now, he's looking at me. He's like, oh, maybe it was worth it. You know, yeah. that's that's yeah. why you're you're decent at your job. You know, got <laughs> a bunch of practice before. Exactly. Well, my my dad used to tell me a story about. I would be four years old sitting at the kitchen table and I'm flipping through the newspaper and I'm circling things with a pen and he comes over and he looks and I'm circling all the contracts that guys have signed 
in the newspaper. <laughs> so that way I can go to my spreadsheet that I've made and, you know, work out who's making what and what types of teams are, are looking for, you know, certain players. And uh, so again, sometimes you're just wired for something and, and it just, it, it brings you joy to be around, you know, yeah, what, what, that was what, a pre, the pre the pre iPad, you know, generation. Exactly. So I mean, we're we're kind of dating ourselves a little bit talking about that whole kind of thing, but uh, but it's all good. So you made mention of you know the combine a few minutes ago, and you know it's kind of perfect timing that we're talking to each other today because obviously the CFL released you know the list of participants today for the upcoming CFL combine, and you know obviously you've gone through that process, I've gone through that process. A lot of guys that we've known have gone through that process. Now as you know, you transition and you're, you, you've been that executive for six years who's responsible for going out and scouting these players and you know, interviewing them and talking to them and getting to know them. What would you say is the most impactful thing that you can get from a player from a CFL combine or a combine style you know, workout? You know, obviously, all the on-field stuff is very important because you want to see how he's going to move and everything like that. Going to validate with, you know, digits and numbers, you know, his, uh, his athletic abilities for whatever it's worth. But also, I think if one part I really enjoy and we can only do it at the National Combine on a regular year would be the interviews. Mm -hmm. Just because you can see how a guy is going to answer to not only questions, but to being put in front of, you know, pro football executive. And if he's going to, you know, stay calm, stay poised, or he's going to be all, you know, nervous. And, and obviously it's, it's nerve wracking, but if you're able to handle that, it's going to tell us a lot how you're going to handle the pressure in locker room. You know, when you walk in front of, you know, a bunch of older guys, guys that are going to be 10 years older than you, everybody's fighting for a job. It's a cutthroat business. Yeah. And, if you're able to handle an interview pretty well, doesn't mean that you need to wow us and give us like amazing answers. Mm -hmm. But if you're, you show confidence during your interview and that you're able to be, you know, to not necessarily win the room, but if to heart, like to inspire respect, I yeah. think you're going to have a good chance to make it at the next level. And I remember one guy was like, that was Justin Lowell who play who plays for us. You know, when he walked in at the combine, he had to grow to, to go through the regional combine before worked his way to the national combine. And when yeah. he walked in, he was that confident dude, the same dude that, you know, shows up on game day for us. So I think it, you know, it tells you a lot about somebody's character when he is able to impress you during an interview. Of course, you know, and, and I think it's, it's such a unique, you know, I, I always like when they release the videos on TSN or with NFL films and they show you the, you know, the combine interviews that they have with these players. And because it's not a lot of time, like, you know, and at the best of times you get 10 minutes with a kid or 15 minutes with mm -hmm. a kid and you have to vet that player for, you know, as little as 10 or 15 minutes to make sure that they're going to be the one that you're investing, not only, you know, a monetary you know, um, a monetary portion, but you guys are putting your necks out on the line whenever you do draft a kid or whatever you do bring in a free agent, because if you vouch for somebody and they deliver, then, you know, that's how executives get moved up the ladder. If you vouch for somebody and they absolutely tank, well, now it's like, well, maybe we have to, you know, look at the way that you judge players and scout players and, and evaluate them. So again, the scouting process is, is such a, you know, for anybody who hasn't been through it or does not know how it, how it goes, 
it is one of the most cutthroat, one of the most nerve wracking, but one of the coolest experiences that you will ever go through as not only from the administrator side, but from a playing perspective too, because this is what you live for. You know, they always have the saying, big time players make big time plays and big time games. Well, you know, you're, you're talking about sitting in a room with, you know, 10 to 12 CFL executives and, you know, you might be the, the fourth or fifth team that this kid has come in to talk to that day. So he's talking to, you know, guys who have been around for sometimes 30, 40, or 50 years, all the way up to guys like yourself who are brand new. And, you know, you might get an array of questions that just throw you for a loop and you don't know how to answer it. But, um, but yeah, I, I think the genuineness that a lot of these prospects can show in those interviews, like you're saying, can win over a room and, and ultimately take them to, you know, that next step of, of being either a draft pick or, or um, an undrafted free agent. Yeah, basically, like, we just expect you to be, like, truthful. You know, be truthful yeah. to yourself. Know your weaknesses. Yep. And be aware of who you are as a player and as a person. And everything's going to be all right. Like, you know, we, we don't like when people are full of themselves. Or sometimes yeah. we just want to validate some info that we got during the season about, like, either a character issue. Like, yeah. So that's why sometimes we're going to throw a left curve. Like, I remember a guy that asked him, like, like, you say you like to be physical and you like to be like a disciplined player. So why did you, why the hell did you do three penalties against Western? Yeah. Like, and he had no answer. Like, and, <laughs> but you say you want to be a, a core guy and, you know, a guy that teammates are going to rely on, but you go out and you could do three penalties in the same game for unnecessary roughness or PI or stuff like that. And so sometimes, you know, you're able to validate how full of, crap they might be sometime <laughs> and that gives you a good perspective it's if it's the kind of person you want in in your organization yeah well, well again i mean you guys are trying to build an image right and it's not only just what's on the field but it's what's off the field as well if you got guys who are taking penalties that are you know stupid penalties during a game you know they're more you're more likely to be an emotional type of person right they they react instead of you know soak everything in and really just kind of assess the situation before they, you know, before they act on it. So, you know, those are, those are the types of people that will go out in, in a situation they might find themselves on the street and be in the same type of predicament where they're going to react before they think. So, yeah. um, you know, again, it's very, very important. And, and I mean, taking that into account, how much stock do you put in a phenomenal combine workout? if the game tape doesn't really match up with what you're seeing on the combine? Yeah. Like in the past, I remember I was uh, in the previous years, you know, they were, they were a player that his film was just average or vanilla and he wasn't doing anything. He was just around, not really involved, but he, he blew a combine away. He did very well. And I remember asking Marcel, I was like, like, what am I doing wrong right now? Like, (laughs) I know he's doing all like he's checking all the boxes for the digits and he's fast and he bench a lot and he's quick, but I don't see it on film. Like he said, well, at the end of the day, if you don't see it on film, you're not going to see it at the next level. And, you know, no matter how fast you are, if you're not physical and if you're not willing to fill a, fill a gap or fill an alley as a player, it doesn't matter if you run four or three, if you shy away from contact, that game's going to heat you up and you're going to be a one and done in training camp and going to move on to the next guy. And it's not going to be, we're not going to hold it against you. It's just a matter of the games. It's a physical game. You got to be fast enough, but you don't need to be the fastest if you're not 
like willing to get physical. Yeah. And I think that's why you see, you know, a lot of players who might slip through the cracks of, of not being the, you know, so, you know, the so-called workout warriors, you know what I mean? You know, there's always the old story of Jerry Rice running a four, six at his, at his pro yes, day. Exactly. And, but you watch the game tape and it's like, this guy runs a four, three, four, two easily in pads. He's running away from people. So mm-hmm. maybe he's not going to run well in shorts, but you put pads on him and he, tur- he turns into a totally different player. So, and it goes the opposite way too. I mean, you've seen guys blow the doors off the combine, you know, by running in the four twos, four threes, four fours. And again, you put pads on them and they fold up and then they're out of the league in two years. So it's, the NFL for that is a different, is the different animal because you got, these guys are not preparing for football. They're just no. like they have specialists and they go to like centers and they only prepare for 40 yard dash they don't run 41 yards they run 40 yards yeah. on the dot and at that point it's not even football anymore it's just like you know they because they associated 40 time with more money because yeah. your draft stuff's gonna go up yeah. so now there's so much money especially <clears throat> i'll say that for the nfl because the cfl is different but in the nfl there's so much money involved in play like and drafting a player yeah. that if you can raise your stock by doing all these now like these crazy exercise and the preparation for the combine, you guys are just gonna you know secure your your future. So it's taking away from the nature of the game a little bit, but it's it's a good show and it's uh, yeah. it's what people want to see. You know, fast players. And and you know that that's a you know a very unique you know statement on it because I mean being on the executive side that's why you see so much turnover at the executive levels because you know and, and you've probably you know seen it yourself you know several times is you fall in love with the player for whatever reason and again you just you go and you talk about this player we got to take this guy got to take this guy got to take this guy and you're not looking at any of the other 30 prospects that might play that same position that this guy plays that are probably better suited for whatever team or system that you guys are implementing right so and, and again i mean you look at a team that values fast players and i mean i'll throw it out like the the los angeles slash oakland slash las vegas raiders for yeah. years have just valued that 40 yard dash you know bench press you know vertical seven cone like their three cone drill like they're gonna look at that as being okay well we can mold this guy into a football player because he's athletic Whereas you see the smart teams like, you know, New England Patriots for years, they're looking at guys who can play football. And then we just want to get them in here and put them in our system and let them go out and play. And I mean, I mean, you guys have, you know, seem to have got a, a good groove going in Ottawa because your drafts have ultimately been kind of your lifeblood for the last, you know, six, seven years from the inception of the team. And the reason why Ottawa's had as much success out of the gate as they've had as an expansion team is because of good drafting and going out and finding players that fit, you know, one, the image that you want to portray on the field and in the community. And two, you want to bring in guys that are going to fit the system and are going to be able to go out and play with the other members of whatever, you know, side of the ball they're on. So again, it's, it's such a, you know, a great, but complicated process when it comes to, you know, evaluating players from that regard and finding the perfect fit for the perfect player. You know, like, uh, that, scouting is not exact. Is not an exact no. science. 
And like first, let's say that all that build up from September when we started the, the process, the process for the CFL draft up to the day of the draft in May, all that build up put a little digit, a little grade on the player. Yeah. As soon as the draft's over, that digit's worth nothing. Yeah. Because that would just you know try to help us stack them and like you know grade them and stack them on our board. But as soon as you get drafted that grade's worth nothing. It's going to yeah. be you against, you know, the world or whatever you want to call it. And you're going to make it if you want to make it. Mm -hmm. So that's why sometimes you see first, second, third round pick that's going to last one year in CFL. Yeah. Yeah. And you got some undrafted guys like Brendan Gillanders who's going into his seventh year. Because at the end of the day, as, as long as you get in the door, get, you get in building, it's up to you. So obviously, you know, the top picks are going to have more maybe chances than the lower end guys. But if they don't seize it, you know, it's, it's pointless to have them around compared to lower, lower draftees. So, so at that point, you know, all that evaluation and all that projection and, oh, he reminds me of that guy and that guy and that guy. It's going to be like that guy. That just makes you feel comfortable up until that guy gets in the building and yeah. tries to start his own career. Yeah. Oh, for sure. I mean, you look at it, you obviously have these draft experts both in, in the U S and up here, you know, and I'll highlight Mel Kiefer because I think he's the most, you know, the most well-known mm -hmm. draft Nick out there. And I mean, those are the types of people who are going to put a, um, you know, comparison to it because that's what people want to see. People want to read mm -hmm. something. And they want to say, well, this guy's like this guy. Okay, well, maybe I'm going to watch him a little bit more and maybe I'm going to read his next article to, to see if, you know, he'll compare him to somebody else. And, I mean, it, it puts an unfair expectation on the player when you start comparing him to some other person because ultimately everyone's their own person and you're never going to duplicate, you know, one player. And that's the beauty of it. You know, that, that's the absolute beauty of professional and amateur sports is you're never going to have, you know, two of the same person unless they're twins. <laughs> yep. you know what i mean so um no and it's such a good point you know obviously you know brendan's been on on the show and we talked to him about the free agency process and everything but you know it's great to see that someone who won definitely got overlooked during the whole draft process didn't lose you know didn't lose the drive or the motivation after that signed a contract and really worked his way into being a key member of not only the team that he's on but the league in general you look at how well-respected that guy is around the league, I mean, everybody knows who Brendan Galanders is. Everybody knows 25 for Ottawa because, one, he's one of the nicest people that you ever want to meet. And, two, I don't think anybody works harder than that guy in regards to his weight room, you know, his classroom work, his film sessions, and his relationships with his teammates and coaches. And I think that ultimately, again, is why a guy who goes undrafted is going into, I think it's his eighth year, actually, he was telling me. Yeah, maybe. Eighth, yeah, his eighth, his yeah, eighth year I, I, this I year. I don't count. I don't count twenty twenty. That's why. <laughs> there you go. So <laughs> he didn't put any mileage, any mileage <laughs> on his body. That's why. Well, he, well, he's old now, so I mean, you gotta, you gotta salvage his legs wherever you can. But, but again, a guy who's going into his eighth year in the league, you know, as opposed to what you're saying. I mean, I remember the, the year that I got drafted, the first overall pick lasted two years mm -hmm. before he got traded. And you look at a guy who got drafted right before I did, Chris Getzlaff. He had a phenomenal career in the CFL, you know, with Hamilton and Saskatchewan. So, again, you know, it could be a first-round guy, it could be a fourth-round guy. But if, you know, that person 
has what it takes to make it, they're going to make it for sure. Especially in CFL where there's a bit less money involved in the mm -hmm. players, you know, so you're going to be maybe, it's going to be maybe easier for a team to move on from an earlier draft pick right. than in the NFL because there's so much money involved in the player that is going to stick around for maybe longer than maybe should. Yeah. So that's why you can see a lot of late picks in CFL, you know, having pretty solid career yeah. uh, compared maybe to some, some other IU picks, you know, because yeah. at the end of the day, we just want the best 21 Canadians on game day. That's it. That's it. Yeah. And, and, and I mean, that's ultimately what sports is about. I mean, you, you like to put the best people, you know, on the field or on the ice or on the court, you know, that are going to help you win football games. Now it's not always the case as we both know, but as an executive, you do what you, you know, you do your best to, okay, I've identified the top players on my board that we were able to secure. Now I'm going to give, you know, these guys to, you know, our general manager to either, you know, draft or sign. And then from there, it's up to the head coach and, you know, the positional coaches to really get those players to perform every, you know, every single thing that you guys have foreseen throughout the whole scouting process. So, I mean, we could talk about scouting forever because I mean, like this is something that obviously you and I are, are very keen on and, and we, we, we love it. So, I mean, you know, it's, I, I won't uh, lie. It's, it's quite a thrill when you see a guy yeah. coming in and being able to perform like you expected them, or maybe, maybe even exceeded like, you know, yeah. a guy like Lewis Ward, nobody yeah. could have predict Lewis to be that great. No, I mean, like he went undrafted, but we love Lewis. But yeah. Sally went undrafted, but he saw, like, he sees his chains and he became very good at what he was doing because he had confidence in his abilities. And he, I never seen somebody with such a mental toughness as, as he has. And at the end of the day, he, he made the most of his uh, experience and of his uh, opportunities. So, so he, but I won't lie, when you see a guy performing like that, gives you goosebumps goosebumps man <laughs> oh for sure i mean even just you know, being at the games and seeing what he was doing i mean it's uh it's great when you can see someone maximizing their ability because they were given an opportunity so you know that's that's always going to be first and foremost you know what uh, what brings fans out to games and and ultimately what makes you know amateur and professional sports as great as they are so you know let's let's kind of take a you know, a detour here. We've been talking about scouting in the draft. Obviously, you guys just went through the whole free agency period when the CFL, the NFL, you know, obviously has kicked off their free agency period as of last week. And it's been an absolute frenzy because of the situation that COVID has put the league in. You know, going into something like a free agency period, you know, as an executive, again, you've already identified the key traits you're looking for in your draft picks. When you're going and making up, you know, your list of guys that you really want to go after in free agency, you know, maybe highlight a few of the things that, you know, you see from your pro scouting department and basically what you're looking for and how early do you start looking at these guys, you know, before they hit free agency? Um, the way we work is on a yearly basis, uh, we evaluate all the CFL players. So if you play one game, either in preseason or during the season, you're going to be evaluated. And so going into free agency for us, we're not in scramble mode because we already put these guys in the system and we know about them and we have 
their evaluation, you know, done uh, months before free agency. Right. So at that point, some will just wait in game to maybe the 10, 10 days before free agency to see who's going to actually hit the market because you can do all this, the, 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 the mock free agency or the speculation as you want. But at the end of the day, the best players often don't hit the market. Right. So you got to be able to find the, the guys that you want. Then you got to be, uh, you know, working closely with the coaching staff. See like, hey, what do you want to do? You want to put more money on defense or on offense? Because at the end of the day, you're just managing assets and managing dollars. Because maybe you would like to have a guy, but because another of your guys did good and you had to give him a 50000 raise, so now that 50000 is not available. So you get... If you want to retain your own guys, that's going to prevent you from going on a shopping spree a bit like the, the Patriots did uh, this year. <laughs> but if you have the flexibility to do it and you want to change the, uh, the face of your, of your franchise, I mean, that's the best way to, be, uh, to do a quick fix. But at the end of the day, if you trust your own scouting and the players you have in-house, you're going to go get some key pieces here mm-hmm. and there to either solidify your Canadian depth or, uh, you know, solidify some position needs that you might have. But you got to make sure the coaching staff are going to be willing to work with these guys as well. Because if they don't want them in, I mean, you could give them as much money as you want. At the end of training camp, they say, I can't work with that guy. So now you're going to have wasted all that cap money on a guy that the coaches don't want. So, uh, I think that's uh, that's the main time of the year where you've got to be in tight connection with the coaching staff in regard of uh, targeting the right players. And and I mean, obviously, you're you're hitting on a, a very key point there. So you know, how important is the relationship between the management group and the coaching staff? I think it's key because you know their success relies on us, and our success relies on them. You know, at the end of the day, they trust us to find good players and we trust them to uh, put these guys in the right position to have success, you know, mm-hmm. because you could bring the best football player in the world. If he's put in a shitty situation, he's not going to look good. Right. But sometimes great coaches can overcome a lack of talent with either play calling or schematic. Yeah. And so that's why, you know, having them being able to put our guys in good position, it also reflects well on us, you know, makes us look pretty solid as, uh, you know, evaluators, because at the end of the day, there are a lot of good football players coming to CFL and the gap between the stars and the lower tier guys is not that big. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes it's just if they're giving the right opportunity to shine, yeah. that's, that's how they, they, you know, they, they just become stars in league. So we, I think it's uh, we do have a tight connection in in regard of uh, each one of us success. You know, we depend on them, and they do depend on us as well. For sure, for sure. And I mean, the the best teams will have that tight relationship between the coaching staff and the management group, where they'll discuss, you know, who they're drafting, who they're signing, what type of schemes they're going to run. Because again, all of this is important for the growth of a franchise. And for anybody who hasn't, you know, checked it out or doesn't know about it, so. You can go find a great docu-series on, uh, on the Indianapolis Colts with Chris Ballard and Frank Reich and kind of how they built their team in their first mm-hmm. year there together. And 
it's really amazing. I mean, they break it down, I think, 10 different segments, and one of them is actually throughout their entire draft. And it's so cool to see the interactions between the coach and the general manager because you don't see that a lot. You hear these stories about, you know, back in the day where coaches weren't even allowed in the same room as the general manager was because he's the one picking the players. And, okay, we might ask you what your thoughts are on this player, but then that's it. So, you know, that's uh, – it's so key and it's, it's so great that, again, that's as valued as it is with you guys. And, I mean – you know, shout out to one of my old coaches with with BC, uh, Mike Benavides. He's definitely one of the one of the top guys in, in the league in regards to relating to his players and getting the most out of them. So, I mean, you know, you guys give him you know the best twelve that you guys think, and I'll guarantee you that the defense is gonna gonna do some special things this year. So, shout out to Coach uh, Coach Benny. Miss that guy. So also like we're all going to have different point of views and yep. we might not always be on the same page or agree on something, but as long as, you know, it's done in respect and that egos are not getting in the way. I mean, that's, that's how we're going to build a, a championship team. I mean, like I've been only part of the Ottawa Redbacks, but I'm, I've been very fortunate to be part of a team where the GM doesn't have an ego and doesn't try to, you know, overrule the head coach about some decisions. And that's, that's, that's the only organization and way to do business that I do. But I feel that if you don't put your ego in the way, that's, that's how you're going to have a chance to, to win on a, on a weekly basis. And I think with guys like you, you said, coach Benny, coach Lapo, coach Dice, uh, Marcel, and everybody in front office, I think we're, we're doing a pretty good job to put, to put egos aside and to just, you know, set like, just focus on bringing the best talent and having them, having the chance to coach the best talent possible yeah. as well, you know. That's how you win championships, man. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, we're looking at, again, the NFL being in kind of the, the first phase of free agency. If you're looking at it from an evaluation process, who do you identify as having the best free agency period so far of all 32 NFL teams? Because I already know who you're going to pick if I say CFL, so I'm not even going to go there. <laughs> yeah, so. I'm a bit biased. <laughs> well, I, I'm no expert for the NFL. I think usually my attention span for the NFL shuts down on September 3rd after uh, the cutdown day when uh, – I got no interest in the top uh, top players. Usually, I only focus on the bottom bottom end of the of the roster. But I'll say this year, I paid a bit more attention, and I say Kansas City. They did a, you know, they they saw what happened at the Super Bowl. They and they went out and they fixed it. You know, it's gonna be uh, they brought in uh, brought in some uh, solid help on the old line. I think uh, that's gonna if they can give Mahomes a bit more time. They could be uh, they could be back at it uh, next year, and uh, also uh, I don't dislike uh, what the Giants did with Kenny Go uh, Kenny Golladay. Mm -hmm. I mean that guy is a stud. That guy is a very good football player. And now with uh, is that Shepherd that they have? Yeah, Sterling Shepherd. Yep. So and with Saquon, I think that's gonna give some. Uh, that's gonna give uh, Daniel. Uh, Daniel Jones, some uh, some options, man, out there. I think it's going to be a thing. That was a good pickup. I'll say that. Casey and uh, some key signing from uh, from the Giants. Yeah, and you know, I, I won't disagree with you on the Giants. You know, and obviously they, today they just uh, they signed uh, Dory Jackson, the corner yeah. from from Tennessee. Yeah. So 
again, another key contributor on defense and special teams for them. But I, I, I mean, I have to disagree with you on the Kansas City front because yes, they they addressed the interior portion of their line with um, uh, I'm drawing a blank on the on the guy's name, uh, Joe Thune, as well as Kyle yep. retirement. But to go into free agency and releasing both of your starting tackles from the year before. I don't know what they're trying to do there. So, I mean, yes, it's great. You've got two guys to shore up the inside, you know, the interior of the line and, you know, keep in mind too, they also lost their center from last yeah. year as well. So yes, they filled two gaps, but they have three missing gaps and arguably the three most important positions on the offensive line, which is the center and two tackles. So again, I'm biased again. Yeah, no, no, that's, that's, that's a valid point. I mean, like I didn't see it that way. I wasn't familiar enough with, uh, with them releasing both tackles, but uh, yeah, no, that's going to be an issue that they will need to address in the draft. But even yes. there, you're going to, you're going to bring rookie tackles that are going to need to be, they're going to need to adjust to the speed of the game at that level. So, so yeah, maybe they do have a solution in house that we don't know about, Maybe, but, yeah. but I think they played almost everybody on that whole line last year <laughs> over the course of the year. So yeah. yeah, but I don't know, were there any big time tackles available other than Trent Williams? I mean, so, so the one guy that I really liked and I was kind of hoping, being a Pittsburgh fan, I was kind of hoping that he would kind of fall through the cracks and his team wouldn't resign him was Cam Robinson from Jacksonville. Okay. He's an Alabama product, won two uh, national championships there. He was like 6'7", 330 pounds, a like big dude. And he's been a starter since he was a rookie. So I was kind of hoping that he would fall through. They franchise tagged him, so nah. back there. Taylor Moton from uh, from uh, Carolina was a right tackle that was very good. He got franchise tagged, so now you're looking at what's out there, and it wasn't a really lush, you know, tackle market. Mm -hmm. But thankfully, the draft is actually loaded with top level tackles. So I think a lot of teams are going to look at that and say, okay, we can pick this guy and plug and play him from day one, and then we don't have to worry about our left or right tackle position if we hit on the right guy. So. We'll see what happens with that, but, uh, again, but no. when you have when you have a guy that you invested five hundred millions in, I mean, you, you got to find the right him. guy. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Because again, quarterbacks can't throw the ball when they're on their back the whole game. Yeah. So, no, you're one hundred percent right, man. You know, if you're going to invest that much money in a quarterback, you better damn sure make uh, make sure you're you're protecting it with everything that you have, whether it be offensive line, tight ends, a fullback, you know, whatever it may be surround him with you know a Brinks truck to make sure that that investment is secure so um the last thing that that we'll hit on before we we get you out of here tonight so again you've had such a unique journey coming up you know from playing to working for an athletic department to getting an opportunity to now live out a dream of yours and and you know working with the front office and being able to go out and scout and evaluate and eventually one day take over your own team and, and run the show and, and win a few great cups as, as the man in charge. So maybe what you can tell, you know, tell everybody who's listening to this, you know, what has been the most impactful moment to you during your entire time being a front level executive? And it could be anything from, you know, someone that you met along the way, you know, a moment that really changed your way of thinking or, 
you know, just in general, what was one thing that sticks out to you as being, you know, that moment that really made me think, you know what, this is me living my dream and there's nothing else better than that. Mm, that's a good one, man. That's, <laughs> that's a good one. I won't lie. There's two moments I can highlight. Uh, one would be, I think, was my first year. You know, uh, I, it was about like, you know, when you when I started in the business, you start as a football ops guy and you basically you just do whatever they ask you to do and you do it the best you can. And a lot of that is uh, driving people around. So being a, being a chauffeur and bringing guys either to the uh, hospital or picking up players at the airport. And it's a very um, humbling experience. You know, you, 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 it, it, shows you, it shows you the rope of the business and makes you appreciate little tasks that are involved in the daily operations. And so I remember one night I was sitting, it was about like 8.30 at night. I was at the Ottawa airport waiting for a player. And, you know, I was just sitting there and I received an email on my cell phone, like saying that, confirming that I will receive my master's grade, you know, from the University of Montreal. And I was, I was sitting there, you know, mid-training camp, you're tired. You, you work like 18 hours a day for four straight weeks. And I was like, I was telling myself, what am I doing here? You know, I have a master's degree. I bust my ass five years in college and I'm making more than the minimum wage sitting at an airport waiting for a guy being a chauffeur. So I, what am I doing? Then you just go through your business. And by the time you realize it, now you're working the entire draft and you're speaking and, you know, in draft meetings and, you know, the GM's listening to you and, you know, you're having a chance to travel to California to scout NFL camps and do all that kind of stuff. And you just realize that I was a small town guy from a blue collar family, like in the deep east side Gatineau mm -hmm. and having the chance to live a dream and being all over America, you know, scouting football players. So it was worth going through that, you know, a little doubt, doubting period, you know, just, you know, not being sure about if you made the right move to give up all that life you had in Montreal. And so I think I, it hit me when I was in San Francisco, I think in nine, in 2018, you know, my first scouting trip uh, out on the, on the West Coast, Saints. just rethinking about the whole journey from, you know, that that call in Danny Machucha's office to being there on that day, having earned the trust of that organization that they're willing to send me on the road to evaluate players for the future of the team. So I think that was uh, that those were the two moments where I, I think I'll remember forever. And um, again, very cool, man. And I think everybody who goes through again, whether it be sports or you know, your, your job, your school, whatever, you know, what PY just said is so important. I mean, there's going to be so many times that you doubt yourself and you think that you've made the wrong decision over and over and over again. But if you just push through and see it through a little bit more, there could be such a, a huge pot of gold at the end of that rainbow. And I mean, 
PY, I couldn't be happier for you, man. You know, very proud of, of where you where you started to where you are now. And obviously I, I love, you know, seeing your your career progression. And again, I, I have no doubt that one day you're you're going to be, you know, that general manager of a of a great cup winning team or you know, maybe even a Super Bowl winning team. Who knows? <laughs> um and, and it's not that far in the and I'll tell you that right now. I've talked to a lot of executives and you're by far one of the the most intelligent and, and most well-liked people that, uh, that work in that industry. So kudos to you. And, you know, we wish you nothing but the, nothing but the best and we'll have to make this a regular occurrence. So that way you can hey. come in and, and educate us a little bit more. You got a direct line, man. You got a direct line. <laughs> Just uh, whenever I'll see your name on the phone, I'll know, uh, I'll know how to pick up. Man. And thank you very much for, for having me, man. I had a blast. All right, man. Well, always a pleasure to catch up with you and we'll, uh, we'll definitely do this again soon. All right. Thanks, man. All right, buddy.